and welcome to the podcast version of COS Live, a weekly program keeping you up to date on the Article 5 movement working to reclaim liberty in America. You can watch the original live broadcasts on Convention of States Rumble, YouTube, Facebook, and X. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello, COS supporters. Welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I'll be your host. And of course, I am joined by my co-host, Rita Peters, who's also the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs. Rita, it is great to be back with you. How are you doing on this lovely Tuesday? I'm doing great, Andrew. I'm loving that the Christmas season is here. It's my favorite time of year. Super excited about that. And I'm very excited to talk to today's guest. He is such a brilliant man, and I'm just eager to share his take with our audience. I am too. Before we get to that real quick, Reed, I got to ask, are you a person that puts the Christmas tree up the day after Thanksgiving, or do you wait a little while before putting up the Christmas tree? For me, Andrew, it's a multi-stage process. So my family goes and gets the Christmas tree right after Thanksgiving, but we take our time getting it decorated. How about you? Which camp are you in? We're in the, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, the tree goes up, we get everything out. So we're, we are uh, excited to get the Christmas spirit going. Uh, I do love that, extending it and making it fun and, and making it longer. I love it. Just extends the joy. Yeah. So with that, Rita, we have a really great program lined up for our viewers. We're going to be bringing on John Malcolm, who is part of the Heritage Foundation. And he wrote a fabulous article about Convention of States where he calls it a worthy cause. So we're going to be talking with him a little bit about that. We also have a new edition of COS Now so that we can keep our viewers up to date with everything Convention of States. Stick around. We have the COS mailbag at the end. Make sure to drop some comments so that you can be featured on a mailbag episode. But first, before we get to that, Rita, of course, we have our COS Article 5 trivia giveaway with Mike Ruthenberg. Mike, over to you. Thank you, Andrew and Rita. What a blessing, what a privilege it is, not only for me to be here, but to be able to get to watch you guys, I have to say I'm a little envious, speak with John Malcolm, who holds four leadership positions within Heritage Foundation. What a credible place. It's so funny because we hear these constitutional experts so often talking about how bad utilizing the Constitution is for America. And they rarely have the kind of credentials that the people that we listen to have. This is going to be an amazing show. Thanks so much for picking this up. And I hope you guys have a blast having this great conversation with John Malcolm from Heritage. In the meantime, I'm going to give away something fun. And that fun thing is one of these, one of our COS, the fifth edition of our Christmas ornament. They're all different. People have been collecting them all the years. I have every one of them. This one's Benjamin Franklin with Miss Elizabeth Powell asking the question right after the 1787 convention. She said, doctor, fine doctor, do we have a republic or a monarchy? And of course, Mr. Franklin, Dr. Franklin said, it's a republic if you can keep it because it's a government of form by the people. That's why he said, if you can keep it, it's up to us. And we know that right now because that republic is in danger of going away it, around the edges. We're seeing it all come in. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys all know this that's going on. 
But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to switch gears, get into our Article 5 trivia. If you are the one that answers this, you get our very cool Christmas ornament. If you don't win it, we are getting low on them. Go to shopconventionestates.com and you can pick up one yourself. We actually just put them on sale. We're very low on them. I want to give one away before we run out. So here's our question. And it has to do with the an amendment that was ratified on December 5th, 1933, a little ways back, ending prohibition. You may remember this one. I think a lot of you will know the answer to this question, but the real fun on this question is going to come in the end when I talk a little bit about the answer and why it's so significant. But which uh, amendment was ratified on December 5th? 1933 ending prohibition. There's my question. Stick around because I'm going to be here at the end after you've heard a great, great show with uh, with uh, John Malcolm, with Rita, with Andrew, and I'll give you a really great idea of why this is such a significant question. For now, back to you guys. Thanks, Mike. Well, it is time now to get caught up with everything Convention of States. Let's roll the newest edition of COS Now. Video from Convention of States endorser Ron DeSantis emphasized his continued belief that the only way to achieve term limits on Congress is through the Article 5 convention process. We have people like Pelosi that have been there for decade after decade. Uh, they're more interested in advancing themselves than they are delivering results for you. So we need term limits. Problem is, Congress is never going to enact this. Florida has already certified it. Many other states have certified it. We have the ability to do this. Meanwhile, Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler appeared for an hour-long interview on The Sean Spicer Show. Mark talked about his journey from Tea Party Patriots and why he ultimately decided to leave that organization and form the Convention of States movement. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I literally had people say things to me like, well, look, if you can learn to sort of play the game, you're going to have some real power here in Washington, D.C. In fact, people always used to say, you've heard this phrase, it's cliche, you'll have a seat at the table. And my right. response was always, you don't want me at your table because my goal is to kick the table over and take the power <laughs> out of Washington, D.C. Of course, they didn't like that. You, know? you start this thing called Convention of States. Right. Was there any ground laid at that point or is this unchartered, unfurled ground that you guys have to go plow? Yeah, this is literally uncharted ground. Where it comes from is I get introduced to a guy by the name of Mike Ferris. Some of your viewers yeah. might know that name. We founded Homeschool Legal Defense Association. So if you've homeschooled your kids or know anybody who has, they owe a debt of gratitude to Mike Ferris, a really great man. And, and what he said to me was, look, you're chasing the wrong problem. You think we have a personnel problem in Washington, D.C., but our government was designed to handle bad people, corrupt people. And it was by balance of power, by checks and balances, we've broken our structure of government. And unless we fix the structure, it doesn't really matter who we send to D.C. That made sense to me. I'm a business guy first. I understand bad structure, bad results, even if you have good people. And so he convinced me this was a smart thing to do. I took it to my board. We were looking for a solution. 
this was the only solution I'd ever seen that was as big as the problem that we're facing in Washington, D.C. Between recent groundbreaking endorsements from the Heritage Foundation and Dr. Kevin Roberts, who is the president of Heritage, and reports that the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, a former state legislator, is a longtime advocate for calling an Article 5 convention, Convention of State's national profile has never looked better. But there's one man who isn't so pleased, and that is George Soros. As of yesterday, Common Cause featured a banner on its homepage urging readers to donate to Stop Article 5. According to Influence Watch, George Soros has given the group $2 million since the year 2000. This would be far from the first time that George Soros-affiliated groups have gone after Convention of States. In fact, last month, the Soros-backed Center for Media and Democracy published a sensationalized hit piece on the COS Foundation simulation. Then, Common Cause hosted a webinar plotting to block our progress, and earlier this year it was a Soros group that claimed credit for stopping our momentum in Montana. Across the states, our volunteers frequently face off against Soros backed lobbyists in legislative hearings. If you want to help fortify our grassroots army against Soros and other groups opposing conventional states, simply text GIVECOS to 888-444-8774 to equip our army today. Finally, Convention States is pleased to introduce a new award for citizen volunteers who go above and beyond the call of duty, the Tom Coburn Challenge Coin. Tom had been fighting cancer many times over his life. I think his first diagnosis, he was 38 years old. And ultimately, he was 71 years old when he passed away, but he dedicated the last five years of his life to fighting for a convention of states. I'll never forget a moment at the last summit that he attended with us when I was sitting on stage with him and I asked him the question, Tom, why do you keep fighting? And he responded by saying something that I think is incredibly profound, yet very simple. He said, what else would I do? And so this challenge coin has Tom Coburn's face on it. It has... That quote on it, which is incredible to me, it's something that motivates me and inspires me every day, it has the new logo on the other side. And once again, we've minted only 300 of these. And now you're up to date with Convention of States. That episode of COS Now was brought to you by producer G. He put together that fabulous montage of what's happening right now across the country. Rita, I want to get your reaction. What from the latest episode of COS Now do you want to highlight? Well, first, I just have to hand it to producer G again to produce another tearjerker episode. I I absolutely love the Tom Coburn special edition challenge coin. What a great way to honor Dr. Coburn's legacy. And I just um, think he would be so humbled um, by seeing that. And it's just a great award and a great honor for anyone to receive. Right, Andrew? Absolutely. I think the legacy of uh, Dr. Coburn, it can't be fully encapsulated in a coin, but at least this is a memento for, for those who got to work uh, alongside him, to who got to listen to him and to hear how he was a champion for Convention of States, but also a champion just for for good governance and for morality and for uh, a, brighter, a, new, a brighter America. And he worked at that yeah. every single day. I didn't get the opportunity to meet yeah. him. I didn't get the opportunity to listen to him in person. Um, I wish I had. Uh, but from what I've seen in other people who talk about him, he was nothing more than just an amazing presence. So I'm, I'm, I think it's really cool that there's the challenge coin. I think, I think two have already been awarded. Is that correct? Yeah, that, I think that's right. Yeah, he was indeed a national treasure. And we miss him dearly, but are so grateful for his legacy. Um, 
Andrew, I have to comment on the beginning part of COS Now today, where DeSantis points out that Article 5 is the only way we're going to ever get term limits on federal officials. And specifically, the Article 5 convention process is the only way we're going to get those. And I just want to build on that point because that's the whole reason the founders put the convention of the states process into Article 5 is because they knew, as James Madison recorded in his notes of their discussion, they knew that the people would never be able to get the types of constitutional amendments we would need the most if the federal government became overbearing as it has done and as they predicted it would do. So that was why they gave the states the same power that Congress has to propose constitutional amendments. And I would just add that it's not just term limits that we're never going to get unless we use the convention method. It's also putting important limits on Congress's power to spend money, to tax, you know, making Congress get back in its constitutional box and limiting it to the powers that it was given under the Constitution. We're not going to see any of that unless we finally get to work and make the Convention of States happen. Um, what else did you see in that, Andrew, that you would like to comment on? Yeah, a crazy idea, by the way, power wanting to hold on to power. Who would ever think that would be <laughs> the world that we live in, right? You know, you, you nailed right. it. Like, Congress, when they get power, they're not going to voluntarily give it back. It requires the people and it requires the states to act, to take that power away. And thank the Lord, the founding fathers gave us a mechanism to take it back. You know, it would be in a really bad situation if we didn't have this mechanism. And it, it takes me back to, you know, what Senator Santorum said at the simulated convention back in August. He talked about how uh, the founding fathers knew that the federal government would grow and expand and they would they would uh, amass power. They never knew, though, that the state legislators wouldn't use their power. And so now it's time for state legislatures uh, to use their power to take um, power away from Washington, D.C. and their ability to spend stay there and and be career politicians and of course encroach upon the rights of the people and the states i do love that desantis is is one of the many who are uh at the federal level who who recognize the problem because there are so many people in washington dc who just don't recognize the problem or they're just shielding their eyes from it and pretending like everything's hunky-dory. He recognizes that Washington, D.C. is broken. It's filled with corrupt people who are not going to voluntarily give their power away. And so he recognizes that we need a convention to solve these problems because Congress is saying going to do it. Congress can't solve any problems. We see this every single year. It's going to require the people and the states to get involved. Uh, Rita, I, I could talk about this all day long, but we do have a special guest that we are going to talk with today. So why don't we get to our guest? Joining us today, we have John Malcolm, who is the Vice President for the Institute of Constitutional Government at the Heritage Foundation, and he's the director of the Mies Center and the Simon Center. Thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be with you. John, in October, you published a new article titled Reconsidering the Wisdom of an Article 5 Convention of States. 
In that piece, you called the Convention of States movement to call an Article 5 convention for restraining federal overreach a worthy cause. Actually, the end of your piece really just brought tears to my eyes. It was so good. So share with us a little bit about why you came to this conclusion, because this wasn't the first time you had written on Article 5, but maybe tell us about sort of the evolution and your thinking about it. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, so I did first write about this back in 2016. The Heritage Foundation had, before I ever arrived at the Heritage Foundation in 2012, I had traditionally been against the idea of an Article 5 convention, uh, saying that it was just too risky a proposition. Uh, when I wrote in 2016, I recounted some of the history uh, of the Constitutional Convention and the risks of a runaway uh, convention. I know that the founders of the Convention of the States movement uh, discounted that at the time, but I did not see it as being in, you know, an inconsiderable risk. Uh, I characterize this as being a you know, high risk, high reward type situation. Obviously, there's a lot that conservatives would love to accomplish in terms of reforming our government, comparing back on many of the executive uh, and legislative overreaches from presidents and from Congress, uh, several terrible opinions that have expanded federal power at the expense of the states by the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, but I caution that the left has its wish list, too. Uh, things like doing away with the death penalty, perhaps abolishing the Electoral College, uh, enshrining into the constitution abortion rights uh labeling you know hate speech is not somehow being protected by the first amendment pruning back if not eliminating the second amendment uh so my concern would be that unlike the original uh, constitutional convention where some very very wise men gathered in philadelphia and pledged that their uh discussions would all be kept in confidence uh, and the public was kept out that would certainly not be the case in modern day. People would not uh, keep their confidences and the media would be all over the place and there would be tremendous pressure uh, from the left to do some pretty bad things. So that was my original thinking. Several things made me at least reconsider that. Uh, one was I attended as a, um, as a delegate uh, the simulated convention that you all sponsored uh, in Williamsburg in August. And I, I was profoundly affected by that. I, I didn't know how that would go. I was impressed that uh, a number of the people who attended were themselves elected state legislators. Uh, they had a number of them had attended the first simulated the convention that you had done a number of years ago. And they described to me the advancements that had been made in terms of how smoothly the process uh, ran. I was also very struck at the diversity of opinions that were expressed, uh, even in you know only the three subject matters. Uh, but you hear you heard from some very bright people and experienced people about how these different matters affected them in the various regions of the country in which they lived. And uh, you know this is just a a valuable exercise that not only could lead to some good, but just having these discussions an engaged populace uh discussing serious matters in a serious way and truly listening to each other that that in and of itself 
is very worthwhile and sends a message to Congress and to the president that the people do care and want to have a say in terms of how they uh, how they are governed uh, and that this was a worthwhile thing to do. There were also several changes that I noted that had taken place uh, since I wrote my original article in 2016. Uh, you have a lot more Republican governors and conservatives in control of both houses of the legislature of their respective states. Uh, so I thought that it was more likely that anything that would ultimately come out of a convention and be ratified was more likely to be of a conservative valence than a liberal wish list. And the Supreme Court in 2020 came out with a very important opinion. It was the Chiapolo opinion, and it had to do with the issue of so-called fake electors, in which someone is elected or chosen uh, on election day to be an elector who pledges to vote for a particular candidate for president, particularly the, the candidate that wins that state's electoral college votes, and then shows up on the designated day to cast their vote and votes for somebody else other than the person who had they had pledged to support. Several states wrote in provisions that said that you could penalize uh, or remove and or penalize faithless electors. I did not know how the Supreme Court would come out in that case, but in fact, they held that those laws were constitutional, that electors were essentially acting as agents and that a state could remove them or penalize them for failing to honor their pledge. So it seemed to me that all of a sudden, conservative states that wanted to get convention attendees to agree ahead of time that they would limit the call of a convention to only the topics that had been submitted to Congress and that they would not deviate from that. And if there was uh, something that could be added to that application that would either call for a faithless delegate to be removed or some penalty attached, that that made the likelihood of a runaway convention far more remote. So all of these things considered made me think, well, you know, getting an engaged populace uh, to question all of these things and get together and, and see what made sense to listen to each other uh, might end up resulting in some good changes to our governmental structure. And at the very least, uh, even if nothing ended up coming out of it, it would be good to get people having these sorts of discussions uh, on a broad ranging civil manner with each other. I think it's really cool, John, that you had an open mind. You kept the, uh, the idea of a convention and its merits in mind when considering whether to be a participant in the simulated convention. And you looked at the political atmosphere and uh, decided to kind of come see it for yourself. You, you outlined a lot of objections that we've heard in the past. Uh, a lot of it about, you know, will the left take this over? Can we have a runaway convention? Is this going to be bad for America in the long run? And those are those are questions that we hear a lot of the time. Another one that we hear is that we have no idea how this is going to operate. We have no idea what the rules are. We go to a convention, then all of a sudden it just becomes a free for all, things like that. But why Convention of States Foundation put this on is so that people, uh, constitutional scholars and legislators can see how the process works. Because throughout American history, there has never been an Article Five convention. We've had um, interstate conventions. There's been over 40 of them, but an interstate convention is not the same as an Article Five convention right. of states. So tell me, what was your like 
what was your experience like? How was it to see the process? And was there anything that surprised you when you went to Colonial Williamsburg and participated in the simulated convention? Well, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, so I suppose in that sense, it was all a surprise to me. I, um, I, one thing I did, uh, look, a lot of the people who were there were, were not experts in Robert's Rules of Order, not parliamentarians themselves, uh, but the process nonetheless seemed to work. Uh, and the one thing that impressed me as I talked to people is some people who had attended the first simulated convention that you did a number of years ago, they said, you know, look, this isn't perfect, but it is much, much smoother than what happened the first time. And I took a lot of heart in thinking, you know, if, if there was actually a convention, if you ended up reaching the magic number of 34 states who submitted these applications, a lot of the people who were attending the simulated convention would be the actual delegates. And they would have started to develop some muscle memory about what these procedures are and how it's supposed to go and what an orderly fashion uh, it is supposed to go. And so I, I think it all of a sudden became feasible. Now, there was a lot about it that was not realistic. So, you know, this was all done in a day and a half. An actual convention would take certainly days, if not weeks or months in terms of taking place. So you had to limit the number of different amendments that could be offered. The thing that was the most unrealistic, if you will, is there was no media there. And all of the delegates from all of the states were of a conservative or libertarian bent. There were very, very few, if any, liberals in the room. That would certainly not be the case at an actual convention. Uh, you would have a lot of liberals there and a lot of media there, so it would be somewhat chaotic. Uh, but on the other hand, if you have a convention president, president and parliamentarian who puts forth rules that the convention adopts and adheres to those rules, and if you have things like faithless uh, delegate clauses that prevent uh, from things that are not germane to the call of the convention creeping their way in, you can manage to get through the process. My hope would be, I mean, all the, the discussions that we had over that day and a half uh, period, we didn't always agree with each, other, with each other, but people disagreed agreeably. It was a civil conversation. I would hope that one could maintain that in an actual convention of the states. Uh, and I think it is possible. I mean, I, I, you know, these days, everybody goes into an echo chamber, listens to social media or puts on whatever their favorite TV station is, and they just get fed uh, sound bites that will be pleasing to their ears because they already believe whatever it is that's being said to them. I think if people go with the idea of actually listening to their fellow delegates and hearing their perspectives uh, on a variety of issues that are of important to the importance to how we govern ourselves, and they're not done in a soundbite fashion, and there's a civil debate, I think a lot could come out of that, if nothing else, just, uh, again, uh, an exercise in civic education and letting our leaders know that we are watching what they do, uh, and that if we are not happy with what they do, we have the capacity to change things. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And I, I want to point something else out. Many of the delegates to the simulation were current or former state legislators. And even those who weren't, like yourself, still had a very deep working understanding of the legislative process. 
maybe didn't know Robert's rules of orders, but they at least knew how the legislative process goes, how it's supposed to work. And I think that's what we will see in the delegates the state choose to represent them at a real Article 5 convention. I think that this is a reality that some people overlook when they imagine that an amendments convention will be some sort of wild free for all, like a political convention, maybe. Um, They disregard that the commissioners will be people who know and respect the legislative process. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. I I was very impressed that there were a lot of current and former legislators uh, who were there. They're used to the hurly-burly of discussing things. So certainly when they are meeting in their actual state legislatures, there the media is present and they are duking it out, if you will, at least verbally with uh, people on the opposite side of the political spectrum. So they have some sense as to how this process works. Uh, And I think that having that experience present at a convention uh, of the states would be critical. In addition to the fact that these are elected legislators who have a very real idea about how federal government overreaching has impacted them and the people in their states. So they have a real sense of of that history and what this all means to them. And also a sense of what an orderly process uh, in order to to pass things is like. At, At times, the legislative process, as we know, can also be chaotic. But at the end of the day, we do manage to work through our political differences more or less and get stuff done. And I think people who have that experience on the ground getting stuff done in the actual state legislatures would be very important. Let's talk about the amendments for a moment, because there were several amendments that were proposed by citizen activists. Many of them are uh, viewers of this program. Uh, We allowed our grassroots to submit amendment ideas. Not all of them were taken up, but some, some were. And then a lot of the amendments were proposed by legislators. And then all of the amendments were separated into uh, three separate committees. And in those committees, uh, commissioners were able to debate and amend the amendments and then pass those amendments that would go out to the floor to be debated by all of the states that participated. Uh, on that final day, you were, uh, you were watching and you offered a lot of debate um, hmm. when the amendments were coming up. So can you tell us what, what that was like being part of the debate? And maybe is there something that you'd like to highlight? Look, I, I thought it was a great process. So yes, all of these all of these ideas were submitted, and we had discussions in our, our little groups. We were broken up into the the three different subject matter areas, uh, and and I was impressed with how it went. We had a lot of discussions. Uh, do you want to limit jurisdiction to just executive branch in the legislature? You want to have term limits for things like judges? All of these things were were debated, debated quite vigorously, but civilly. Uh, we took votes on some of these amendments after hearing everybody uh, out. Some of the votes were quite close, uh, but the process worked in a thoughtful uh, fashion, albeit a time constrained fashion. And I, I thought that that was great to hear everybody out and to offer points and counterpoints and and be able to consider what everybody had to say. I didn't agree with everything that I heard, but I certainly learned something from everything that I heard. That was worthwhile. And another thing that I think is great is since the topics that were discussed at the simulated convention are the three subject matter areas uh, that come from the call for the convention of the states, 
just having these debates and coming up with these proposed amendments will give an actual convention a significant jump start. Uh, I think if there was an actual convention that was called, you would not be starting from a clean slate. You would already have some fairly well thought out amendments uh, to propose as a starting point uh, where people could then improve upon those. Uh, so I, I was impressed at how civil it was, how thorough it was, given the time constraints involved, how robust the discussion was, uh, and I learned a lot. You make a great point, John, about the amendment proposals from the simulation forming a possible starting point for a real Article 5 convention. And the same thing could be said of the rules that were used. We used a draft of model rules that was put together by Professor Rob Nadelson and Michael Ferris. And I think that was a very valuable exercise to go through. We did identify some things about the rules that needed to be tweaked a little bit to make them workable. And a real Article 5 convention will have the benefit of that experience. So the simulation was all about showing that, yes, we know how it works. Yes, it can be done just as the framers envisioned. But all of that, as you're pointing out, is in an effort to reach the ultimate goal of calling the first ever Article 5 convention to restrain federal power. How important, John, do you think the Article 5 convention movement is to America? And what do you hope for what comes out of it when we get there? Well, look, I, I do think that there has been a remarkable amount of overreach by the federal government at all three branches. I mean, you have uh, you know, an executive power uh, kind of running amok in addition to the president's express constitutional authorities. You now have everything being done by executive order. Uh, and some of these executive orders or agency rules are extremely broad and have an impact on uh, pretty much everything we do in our, in our everyday lives. We, we aren't even aware of the number of regulations that constrain and control what it is that we do. You also have Congress uh, that now essentially, uh, it's not one of enumerated and limited powers, which is what the, the framers of the Constitution envisioned. Uh, it's now one of essentially unlimited uh, power, where even something of uh, purely local control is somehow deemed to affect interstate commerce or, or in some form or fashion subject to congressional uh, control. And the federal judiciary has not only allowed this by expanding the president's and Congress's remit, but they have also themselves reach into all manner of private uh, actions that uh, had been left to the people in the state legislatures to decide and have decided that they have created constitutional rights that nobody can touch in the absence of an amendment to the Constitution or having the Supreme Court overturn its own uh, prior precedence, which is a difficult thing to do. All of this has come uh, at the expense of the states and the liberties of the people. Uh, and so I think that there's a lot that could be do, done to rein that in and that the people should have some kind of a voice. The way uh, the constitutional amendment process thus far has taken place, the 27 times it's 
been amended has always been a proposal coming forth from Congress. And Congress is, of course, highly unlikely to propose anything that is going to limit its own authority. Uh, and at the moment, Congress can pretty much get whatever it wants. It will go to states and tell them to do something that Congress could never order the states to do directly. And But what they'll do is they'll bribe the states. They'll sit there and say, look, if you do this, we'll give you a bunch of federal money. And it's very, very hard for states with constrained budgets to look that money, uh, you know, stare at that money, listen to what Congress has to say, and to decline that money. So Congress ends up being able to do everything that the Constitution says it can do, everything the courts say that the Constitution tells them they can do, and even go beyond that by essentially bribing the states to do what Congress wants them to do, even though Congress couldn't order them to do that directly without the bribe. So I think that there is a lot that uh, should change in our uh, our country. That was the subject of these robust discussions, uh, people bringing their perspectives from different regions of the country about precisely how the federal government or the courts uh, had impinged on their liberties and their, the prerogatives of the states to see to the health, safety, and welfare of their citizens. Uh, and so I, I think the potential for good uh, out of that convention would be, could be high. Uh, you know, you'd obviously have to look to the law of unintended consequences, but that's part of what the debate process for the convention would be all about. Uh, and frankly, whether the, an amendment comes out of, uh, originates out of Congress or from the people, you're still going to have the potential for the law of unintended consequences. But I think there's no question uh, there's been significant federal overreach at all levels of the government, the expense of people's liberties and the states. And I think it's uh, high time that the people said, uh, you know, we have a say in this, too. Mm -hmm. Making such a fantastic argument for why the people need to step up, why the people need to take power away from Washington, D.C. It's where the founders wanted it anyway, with the states and with the people. The powers that the federal government has is very defined and enumerated, and then the powers of the states and the people, it's undefined. So uh, we're running out of time, John, but before we let you go, uh, if our viewers want to follow your work and to, uh, to read additional articles that you put out, where can they go? Sure. Well, they can follow me on, I guess it's now X, not Twitter, at, at Malcolm underscore John, or they can go to the Heritage Foundation, put in my... Uh, my name, John Malcolm, J-O-H-N-M-A-L-C-O-L-M. Or if people want to, you know, they can contact me. My email address is john.malcolm at heritage.org. And I'm happy to engage with folks on all manner of issues. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, John. It's been a real pleasure to hear your perspective and your experience at the simulated convention and why you've uh, deemed a Article 5 convention a worthy cause now. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you back. Thanks for having me on. With that, we're going to go to our Article 5 trivia giveaway question, our answer with Mike Ruthenberg. Mike, back to you. Thank you very much, Andrew. I hope all you guys out there really enjoyed the show. I hope that you guys were able to great some, get some great inspiration to be able to hear a little bit of, from a true scholar about what's happening with Article 5 and why the Heritage Foundation has embraced. And they've even written this incredible legal memorandum. And it's very comprehensive, very well researched, amazing. You can go to conventionstates.com forward slash resources if you want to take a look at that and see exactly what's going on. 
But in the meantime, I'm going to give you the answer to our Article 5 trivia question. And for those of you that were wondering what the giveaway is, it is our very cool COS Christmas ornament. Limited supply, as they always are. We almost always sell out. We're very close to that. Benjamin Franklin, Miss Elizabeth Powell, asking the question right after the 1787 convention, Mr. Frank, Dr. Franklin, is this a republic or a monarchy, she asked. And, and Dr. Franklin responds, it is a republic if you can keep it. And again, to repeat myself, it's worth repeating. It's up to us. We, the people, we have a government of, for, and by the people. It is up to us to continue to keep our elected officials in line to be able to have our republic run the way that we intend it, the way our founding fathers intended it. And right now is a great time for you to be involved in convention states because it is a great time for us to protect that. And we have quite a responsibility to do it. Okay, back to our, uh, our question. Which amendment was ratified on December 5th, 1933, ending prohibition? For those of you who like memory hooks, of course, it's the 21st Amendment because, of course, you have to be 21 to drink. That's why I remember it. The 18th Amendment, the drinking age in Kansas, for example, is the, the amendment that prohibited the alcohol within Mary Star Prohibition. And so the 21st Amendment is the answer. But the really interesting thing about that amendment, the reason we bring it up is because it's the only amendment that has ever been ratified. We all know that a convention or the legislature propose amendments. Once they're proposed, they have to be ratified. There's two methods to ratify those amendments. The first one is by the state legislatures, which is 26 of the 27 amendments have been done that way. The one state that, or excuse me, the one amendment, the 21st amendment that has been ratified by conventions within each state is the 21st amendment. It's, it's quite interesting to know that. And what many don't know is that the, the last three states that uh, ratified Pennsylvania, Utah, and Ohio voted to ratify the amendment the same day meeting the three quarters requirement to achieve ratification of this proposed amendment. Of course, many people laud this amendment. And I would say cheers to the 21st Amendment, especially if you like a nightcap now and then. So anyway, thanks so much for having me on the show, you guys. Thanks so much for bringing such great talent and inspiration to the great grassroots of Convention of States. Back to you. Thanks, Mike. And now it's that time again. It's time for the COS Live mailbag. Now, these are messages and questions from viewers just like you. So if you would like to be featured on a future episode, just drop us a comment on YouTube, Facebook, or Rumble. Now, Rita, I have a few questions for you. This first one comes from Chip Perry. He says, what is COS's status in New York? Well, Chip, that's a great question. We have not ever made significant progress with our Convention of States application in the legislature, at least not yet. 
However, I'm happy to tell you we have a super active and robust team of Convention of States volunteers in New York. So I'd love for you to get plugged in with them and let them tell you all about their strategy and get you connected. So go to conventionofstates.com. Don't forget to sign the petition first, but then go to the Take Action tab and click on your state to get connected. All right, this next question comes from Leslie Hendricks. How many states have signed on to COS? 19 states have officially signed on and applied. Kansas is a possible number 20 because Kansas House and Senate passed our application by a majority vote this year, but the Kansas Constitution has this odd supermajority requirement written in, so we're sort of pending the outcome of that, but 19 states officially and completely signed on. All right, I got one last question before we sign off, Rita. This one comes from Timothy Jenkins. Uh, he asks, can the budget ever really be balanced? <laughs> well, I say yes, Timothy. I mean, let's face it, the states have to balance their budgets. We have to balance our household budget. So the answer is yes, it can be it can be balanced. It should be balanced. It must be balanced. And, you know, of course, there will be provisions, I'm sure, written into a balanced budget amendment to um take into account special situations like a war or something of that nature. Um, but eventually Congress is going to have to, you know, face up to reality and do the hard work um, that will be required by a balanced budget amendment. They're going to have to cut spending. And that's just that's just the reality. It's going to have to happen. All right. Well, we are out of time, Rita. Uh, for our viewers, if you want to be featured on the mailbag, you can go ahead and submit your questions at the beginning of the show and we will get to them. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. So uh, Rita, uh, we don't want our viewers to miss an episode of The Crossroads with you. We can They can watch at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Also, Mark Mickler and Rita discuss hot button issues at the intersection of where faith and culture meet. You can also check out the Battle Cry, which is done, which is with COS President Mark Meckler. It's on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. To give to our end of year fund and equip citizen activists in 2024, text "Give COS" to 888-444-8774. Again, that's 888-444-8774. Well, Rita, we have a country to save, so it's time for us to get back to work. Thank you for listening to today's program. For information, please visit www.conventionofstates.com forward slash pod. That's www.conventionofstates.com forward slash pod.